Good to see you at the church this morning. If you have a Bible, let's open together to the book of Acts, which is a New Testament book in your Bible. There's a Bible in front of you if you need one. Acts chapter 4. So this morning we're going to pick up an ancient story, the account of the unfolding and development of the church that Jesus said, I will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It was His promise that He would build the church and that it would continue to be built throughout the ends of the world until He returned. We resolutely believe that His church is going to continue to be built and that nothing will stop it. People may leave the church, and the church may feel like it's being abandoned, but the true church, that in fervency of prayer and faith, follow Christ, will exist when He returns, and I want to be a part of it. And being a part of it means that I listen to the things of God and the words about the church, and I listen carefully to it, and I say, I believe that, and I want to walk in that. The church is going to be built by Jesus. There'll be many false presentations of it, but the true church fervently believes everything that Jesus has said, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I want to be among that contingent. Do you? Okay, that was pretty weak. Um, So we're going to tell an ancient story. We're going to look at the ancient account. It always worries me that it's too old to be relevant for us here. But more than that, today I want to talk to you about an ancient habit that God's people have always done. And that makes me nervous, that you might think that this ancient habit has no impact on you. God's people have always listened to His voice and followed Him. And God's people have always been people of prayer. And prayer is the way in which we communicate with God. So really today I want to talk to you about prayer, which makes me nervous because this is spiritual religious talk. And I don't want to lose you because unless you have an understanding of what prayer is and how it can help you to live the life God intends for you to live, um, you'll miss out on what we're going to do this morning. Last week's account in the book of Acts showed that the disciples had been arrested for preaching the news about Jesus. They were put into prison overnight, and in the morning they were brought before the rulers of the day who said, by what authority do you preach and by what authority have you raised this lame man, given him strength back in his legs. And they said, let it be known to you that by the name of Jesus, whom you crucified, but God raised, in that name, this man stands before you. And they couldn't object to it because, well, he was standing right there. And yesterday, he couldn't stand. And they said, okay, well, we can't dispute that you actually did this miracle, but we warn you, if you ever preach the name of Jesus again, there'll be trouble. And they said, hey, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to obey you rather than God, you be the judge, 
but we can't help but speaking about the things that we have both seen and heard. And then, in our text this morning, in Acts 4 and verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voice together to God. What happened after they were released from prison, interrogated by the leaders, and then they recovered back to the safety of their friends? They had a prayer meeting. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to give you some principles about prayer that emerge out of the text that I hope you'll scribble down and say, I want to know how to pray the way these guys prayed because they changed the world by their prayers. The first thing I want you to see is that when they were released from prison, interrogated by the officials, they went back and they met with their what? Friends. The apostles had friends. It's like you might think those guys were weird dudes. No, they had friends. They were normal enough to have friends. And I just think it's a little clue that when you have trouble in your life, you need friends. And you especially need friends who will pray with you. I'm going to talk about prayer. Is praying by yourself important? Yes. Is praying in community important? Yes. One guy said, it's like, like somebody said, what's more important, praying by yourself or praying in community? And one writer I read said, that's like asking the question, which is more important for walking, your right leg or your left leg? It's like you have to do this together. Prayer is meant to be in community. So can I just stop for a second? I love that the Bible just says that these guys who were doing God's work had friends. Do you? Your Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation on your own. And if you don't have friends, the idea of a church community is for you to step into many of the opportunities we offer to you and just say, okay, I want to be known, and I want to know other people. I want to be loved, and I want to love. And it's the American way to be ruggedly independent and say, I got this to God, and you're on your own. And then all of a sudden, you get in trouble. You're in a bad situation. You say, oh, man, I'm alone. I love that they had friends. Church is the best place to make friends who are similarly committed to following God. So I just want to take, encourage you to take a step in. And could I say to the um, American males in the room who tend to be friendless, I'm talking to you. Take a step in and don't be in isolation. Two weeks from today, the men will be on retreat in a beautiful place of Buena Vista. And this is a commercial inside my message this morning that if you are a man in our church, you should be on retreat with us for this very reason, for the community that's created when men spend time together around important things. That's what's going to happen on the men's advance. It's in your program this morning. Um, I want you to be there. And I know some of you are thinking, okay, get on with it. I'm just going to stop a minute. I want the men to be together as friends 
praying for what God can do in their life. I want to be friends. Okay. They were friends. But do you notice that as soon as they got back, the very first thing they did together was pray, and they had a prayer meeting? They all prayed together. And I want you to see that prayer was their first response, not the last resort. Have you ever been doing something that you said, oh, man, I don't know what to do here. I guess I should pray. It's come to that. I've got nothing left. God help me. And that's sometimes the way we approach prayer, but not them. They said, we're going to start in prayer. We get back, we're released. It might have been the time after they just escaped narrowly some kind of persecution that they would say, okay, where are we going to go? we got to get out of this town. And they just said, no, Lord, we're going to pray. I met with my staff this week, and I just said, I want to remind you, that when you have a meeting, don't close it in prayer. Open it in prayer. When you start to do something for God, ask God to guide you in that moment. We love first responders because they're the ones who go into the danger, and they're the first to respond. For the Christian, the first response ought to be, dear God, give us guidance on what we should do in this moment. And I just want to say, if you want to develop your prayer life, let it be the first thing you do in the morning, where you step out of bed and say, God, will you direct my steps today? I pray to you this morning as I begin. It's great to end your day with prayer, but it's great to begin your day in prayer as a first response and start it that way. Secondly, you'll see that prayer is worship. When you get to verse um, 24, the second part of verse 24, um, they lifted up their voice together with, to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made heaven and the earth and the sea and everybody, everything in it. Prayer is worship. I just want you to notice that what they said, prayer is the conviction of the sovereignty and power of God. That whenever you pray, you are acknowledging who it is to whom you pray and what he is like. And they simply said, as we pray, as we lift up our voice together to you, you are the sovereign one and you are the creator of the heavens and the sea and everything in them. Now just stop for a moment. Do you think about God as being the creator of everything and the creator of every beautiful, intricate thing on earth, every plant, every part about your physiology is a unique, marvelous creation of God's handiwork? The psalmist said, when I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers, the sun and the moon, the stars which you have set into place, Who am I that you would take thought of moi? I see that, and I think, who am I? I mean, just think about that. Think about what Hubble has shown us of the universe and its expanse. And when you think about that, you think, I'm such a puny thing. So I need to pray to the one who made all that. And he does think about me. What is man that you're mindful of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. 
Oh, Lord, if I were to think about your thoughts to me, how vast they are, if I would consider the sum of them, they would be too numerous to count how you think about me more than the sand of the sea. That's stupefying, isn't it? That the God of creation thinks about us? One of the ways we fail in prayer is not remembering who it is we're praying to. He's the creator. He's the sovereign one. He's in charge. Now, his sovereignty has led some people to say, well, if God's sovereign over everything, why should I pray? You ever said that? The point is, God is sovereign over everything. So what happens when I pray is I get myself lined up with the sovereign one. Prayer is not so much me making God do what I want him to do for me as much as it is me lining myself up with his sovereign will so that I know where I am walking in his will. Prayer is the conviction that that is who we pray to. He's that powerful that he can answer every prayer that we pray. A.W. Pink, um, a theologian, has said this quote, a consciousness of our own powerlessness should cast us upon him who has all the power. Here then is where a vision and view of God's sovereignty helps, for it reveals his sufficiency and our insufficiency. We know who he is. We know who we are. And so we pray to him and we cast ourselves on him in prayer and say, God, will you answer my prayer? Prayer begins this way. When you begin to pray, you talk to God for who he is and you give him acknowledgement for who he is, which is why the Lord taught his disciples to pray, our Father who art in heaven, everybody? Yeah, what are you saying when you say that? You're saying something about the God to whom you pray. You're holy. Okay. Prayer is the conviction inside that he's powerful, sovereign. Third, prayer is informed and enriched by the words of Scripture. So Peter's saying this prayer, and we say, we lifted up our voices, O Lord, creator of heaven and earth, who made everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And then he quotes the Bible. He's praying, quoting the Bible. He quotes Psalm 2. But could I just give you a little tip about how to enrich your prayer life? Pray the Bible. Pray the Bible. I wonder, when you pray, you, we, we sometimes say, oh, Lord, we just give him all these words, words, many words to God. And I wonder if God's in heaven saying, could I get a word in? Could I get a word in? It's like, no, I've got all these things I want to throw to you. It's like, stop. Because this, the example here is Peter is praying, and he says, oh, Father, sovereign creator, as you said through our father David, your servant, as the Holy Spirit spoke to him, and then he quotes Psalm 2. What he quotes there is, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves against God and the rulers are gathered together against your anointed. He's just saying, this is the world we live in. The world is against you, God. And he's using the Old Testament scripture to inform the way he talks to God. God, why does the nation rage against you? 
The word rage is the word that is used of horses neighing. When they stomp their feet and throw their head back, and why do they rage? Why do they neigh like that wildly, knowing that the bridle alone is going to rein them in? Why do they rage against you, God? You're the sovereign creator. Don't they know that they will have to give an account to you? You are over them. They raise up against your anointed, but you are God. See what he's doing? I offer this to you. If you want to enrich your prayer life, grab a piece of Scripture that you know and pray it to God. Oh, Father, you are my shepherd. I shall not want. Make me lie down in a green pasture. Let me rest in you. Restore my soul. What am I doing? I'm using God's words to, in my prayer, and my conversation is guided by the things God wants to talk about. Not just the things I want to talk about, but my prayers are actually informed by things that are important to God. Or I could pray with Paul. You want to study the prayers of Paul and say, Oh, Lord, I pray that the eyes of my heart would be enlightened so that I would know what is the surpassing greatness of your love for me, that I would know the treasures of your will in all understanding. What am I doing? I'm taking the Scriptures and praying them to God, and that's how my own prayers are enriched in Him. Do you, do you know that as that happens, um, we commune with Him, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. That's an interesting phrase. If you abide in me, Jesus said, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it will be done for me. You know what I think he's saying? I, I think what Jesus is saying is if you know what I want and what I have said, you will know how to pray. I'm interested in all of the small things. I'm interested in your uncle's boss's bunions. But more so, I'm interested in kingdom purposes and God-glorifying endeavors. And I want to see the name of Christ exalted even if you have bunions. You know what I'm saying? What if our prayer requests were for the glory of God, the exalting of Christ, for gospel proclamation, for his work in the world. And Lord, I have cancer. Would you help me know how to live with my cancer while you are doing your kingdom purposes in the world? I heard a great preacher that I really admire tell the story of somebody who walked up to him and said, I need you to pray for my cancer. And he said to his member, church member. Why? Because I have cancer and I want to live. Why? I, wouldn't, I haven't said that to anybody yet. <laughs> I listened him through and he said, why? Why do you want to live? I was like, that's the whole purpose of my life. Is my life to live as long as I can in as much comfort as I possibly can? Or is my life 
for the glory of God that whether I live or whether I die, Christ might be exalted in my body, healthier with cancer. Wow, it changes everything, doesn't it? If my prayers are enriched with the whole themes of Christ's exaltation in the scriptures. Okay. That's convicting. Next, prayer is grounded in Christ's victory. Prayer is grounded in the victory of Jesus. Peter goes on in his prayer, in this city there were those gathered against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, Jesus, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, to do whatever in your hand and whatever according to your plan was predestined to occur. And all Peter is saying is this, the death and burial of res- and resurrection of Jesus was the plan of God and when that happened, Jesus became the victor over the cosmic battle that separates man from God, so now we can pray to God. Jesus is the victor. He died and was buried and rose again, and he ascended into heaven, and he sits now where? At the right hand of God in heaven. And there in that position, he prays for his own. He intercedes for us. He is between us and the Father saying to his Father, I pray for my church. I pray for my Christian followers. I pray that you will help meet their needs. He prays for us. He's the victory by which we can pray to God in the first place. He said, truly, I say to you, and John, before he died... um, Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. And greater works than I have done will those who believe in me do because I go to my Father. And if he goes to his Father, then his followers will do greater works than him. The next phrase there in John is, whatever you ask in my name, that will I will do. That's amazing. That the promise of Jesus to answer our prayers is because he has conquered sin and death. And he is now the victor over his church. And his church prays to the Father on the basis of what Jesus did. And that's why we say, Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name, the victor who conquered sin and death. I mean, the point is, you can come to the Father because of what Jesus has done, and you're in Jesus. Yeah. So don't pray small prayers. Pray prayers, Lord Jesus. What is your will? What do you want? You're the victor. I want to pray that. Next, prayer is aimed at the things we can't control. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Do you have anything in your life you can't control? My husband. My wife. Right, you can't control certain things. You can't control. uh, You can't change certain things. You can't stand certain things. So we pray for the things that we can't change. I can't change the hearts of people around me. But I can pray God will. I can't change the way things are in the world. But I can pray about them. I can ask God to do what only he can do. We can't control certain things, and so we pray. 
And then we wait. And sometimes the answer is, yes, I'm going to do that. Wait. No. We don't know what the answer will be, but we pray for the things that we can't change or control. So now, Lord, look on their threats. Let not my enemies triumph over me. You take care of them. Give room for God to do his thing. You look after them. Do you have anything in your world that you are worried about and you, you can't change? Time to pray. Do you believe me? Okay, I, I want to call some of you to say, I want to trust God to do something in changing something that I can't change. Write it down in your journal. Say, Lord, would you just start working on this and help me to have faith, believe that you can do what I can't do. I can't control that. Any control freaks in the room? Ha! We know who we are. And so we pray. The second thing this verse says is, Lord, you take care of their threats, but in us, grant boldness to us that we would continue to speak with all boldness. And I just see this truth that prayer is for enabling for what we can't do. You want to enable us, Lord, help us to be bold. I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to share the gospel. Lord, help me be bold. I'm afraid to talk to you-know-who. Lord, help me to be bold. Enable me, God, in ways that I'm weak, in ways that I'm sinful. Enable me to be obedient. Enable me to have patience. Enable me to be more merciful with my wife. Enable me to be uh, wise in my words and disciplined in my own character. You enable me, God, to stop doing the things that are ruining my life. Lord, would you just grant me Fill in the blank. What is it you need most? And I want to say prayer is your link to God that because Christ is the victor, he will help you. And he wants to answer our prayers, and he works through our prayers in a beautiful way. Verse 30, still a prayer from Peter. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus, this is the amen. So if you go back and look at this whole prayer, it's, Lord, I know who you are. I know what you did through Jesus. I know they're threatening us. You make us be bold. While you stretch out your hand to do these miraculous things in our midst. And I know that prayer is the means by which we're going to see God do what only he can do. He can heal. He can restore. He can show himself present in a terrible situation when the city of Jerusalem is against us and they want to throw us in prison. Lord, you just keep doing stuff that only you can do. Prayer is the means by which God does his thing that we could never accomplish in our own life. You think God does miracles? Yes. How do they come? You pray. Is it a genie's lamp? No way. He's the creator. He decides when he moves. And he doesn't move because we tell him to move. He does his thing for his glory and his purpose and his time. But I know that God does miraculous things in his beautiful time to keep awakening our heart to say, Lord, I belong to you. This is your church. 
This is your family. My wife, our kids are yours. We dedicated ourselves to you. And we got our issues and we need you to work in them. And I don't know when you're going to break through, but you're going to do your thing in us. In your time, and I trust you for that. Oh, Lord, have mercy on us. And I'm praying about my family. I'm praying about this church. I'm praying for people all around. Every week you give us prayer requests. We take those seriously. We pray over them. And I'm praying for miracles for those things to occur. I want to pray prayers that are God-exalting, Christ-centered, and gospel-advancing. I want God to do his thing. And so that's why we want to pray this way. At the end of the prayer, everybody say amen. Then verse 31 says, sort of a commentary, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken. Like, I think there was an earthquake. I think God gave a physical sign to all of them, like the amen came, and God said, like I, I hear. It was shaken. Miracle. Prayer is communion with God. You're talking to him. You're sharing your life with him, and he's sharing his life with you in prayer. And prayer is also communion with others. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God gave them boldness. He enabled them to be bold in the midst of persecution, and they were all filled with the Spirit. They all had this sense that God was with them doing what he wants to do. That's the kind of church I want to be part of. You? I want to be a part of a church that says, unless God builds the house, we're just like the Elks Club, and that won't cut it. I want to be doing something that God wants to do, advancing his gospel in the world. I want to trust him and say, God, only you can help heal the sinfulness of people's lives. Only you can restore marriages. Only you can help kids who are rebelling against their parents. You can break into those situations and do what you can do on the inside where we can't touch it. I want to see that happen. So I want to encourage you to be people of prayer. And to help you, I have a real-time answer to prayer. For over a year, we have been praying as a church for God's will to be done. We have called it Go 3. Go 3 began in January of 2019 when, as a church, celebrating 130 years of uh, our life together, we said we're going to pray for 130 days. Basically started in February, but in January 2019, we just said we want to be a people who pray. So we prayed together as a congregation for 130 days asking, God, your will be done in our life and in our church. In June of 2019, we met together at Mackey Auditorium, both of our campuses, and we celebrated 130 years of this church being in existence without a split, you know, just trying to do God's will in good times, bad times, depression, um, crazy times, and we just said, Lord, we want to celebrate what you've done and look for what you want to do in the future, and out of that came Go 3. The sense that we all had in leadership after 130 days that God wants to help us plant a third campus. After June 2019, we sent out teams to investigate where should we go, what should we do, what should we do on the Boulder campus, the Erie campus, and we just started to pray, God, you lead us. 
And as we were going out, we went, we were speaking to towns, we were seeing where all the people of Calvary Bible Church in Boulder and Erie lived, and we realized that there were about 400 people who lived closer to Thornton than to Erie or Boulder. So we started praying about Thornton. Is that the place that you want us to go? At the end of 2019, we told the church, we're going to meet with you on January 12th. And on January 12th, we're going to have an update about the Go 3 after a year of praying about a third campus. What we had done before January 12th was to begin to meet with other churches in Thornton just to talk to them and say, what's happening in your church? What, would it be okay if we came to town? What if Calvary Bible Church opened a church in Thornton? And one of the churches we met with was called The Gathering. And The Gathering had 13 members left. And when we came and met with them, they said, oh, we're just about to close our doors and we're looking for somebody else to take over our church. And we said, well, are we too late? They said, yeah, you're pretty late. We've already talked to six churches. But why don't you come and tell us who you are? And on January 12th, when we had that update, some of their members came to listen to our vision. And then on January 26th, last month, I went out and preached out there, and a group of us went and shared the vision of Calvary Bible Church in one of their services And we basically opened the Bible to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and said, when the church got together, this is what they were. They were committed to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread and to the fellowship and to the prayers and to a generous life. And we just shared, that's who Calvary Bible Church has tried to be for 130 years. And if we get to Thornton, that's what we're going to try to do there. We're going to be the church that looks like Acts 2.42. So we shared the vision with them on that day, January 26th. Two weeks ago this morning, the 13 members who were part of the gathering met together and listened to their leadership team who said, after considering many different options and lots of prayer, the leadership team wholeheartedly recommends to the members of the gathering that the buildings and the assets of our church be given in whole to Calvary Bible Church of Boulder and Erie for the purpose of the continuation of fulfilling the Great Commission. That was on February 9th. They have in their bylaws that they have to wait two weeks before they could vote on it. They voted this morning at 927 And text me during the morning first service that the gathering church has just officially voted in the affirmative to offer Calvary Bible Church the assets and opportunity for ministry at our location. We look forward to becoming your third campus. That's today. It's like right now. And all I can say to you is for the last year about this particular thing, we've simply prayed and then God. And then we prayed and we would say, then God and pray more. And then God and our whole story as a church is, and then God did this and then God did that and then this happened. 
And we say, how is that possible? It's like a remarkable, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail it. You just be faithful in prayer and keep yourself aligned with the scriptures and walk in the spirit and, and observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the church I want to be a part of. Are you with me? Man. It starts with all of us, though, being people of prayer. We can't orchestrate this stuff. I can't orchestrate the change in the hearts of people in my life that I want to see love Jesus more. I can't do that. The one thing I can do is pray to a God who is the creator and sovereign one who through his son made it possible to enter into his presence with confident praying and then to say to him, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. I want myself in line with you that you can do immeasurably more than I could ever ask or think. I want to be a person who prays with boldness, but I know that I could never outpray your resources. I could never outpray your capacity to do things. My weakness is I don't pray enough. So, Lord, teach me to pray. You with me on that? I don't know what you're facing today, but I bet you got some category of thing in your life that's beyond your ability to fix. So let us pray. Let's stand together. Our Father in heaven, thank you that you hear our prayers. You hear us when we're weak and broken. You hear us when we really don't know how to pray, and your Holy Spirit prays for us. Today now, I pray that the confidence of our heart will be that we trust in you with all of our heart and soul, and that we really do become people who are not just token prayers to wrap up something that we've done by our own energy. But we are people whose first response is to ask you to work. Whose confident assertion is you're the creator and powerful one over everything. You are the God who has made victory through Jesus possible that we can enter into your presence in his name. And that we can ask for things and know that your will will be done if it's beyond anything that we could do so that all of the glory for anything that happens is for you, not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, to your name be the glory. You who can do immeasurably beyond what we could ask or think, to you be glory in our life and in the church. Teach us to pray. Help us be people who in growing faith will call out to you to do what we cannot imagine happening by human orchestration. 
This is what we pray for, that we will be under your blessing and that yours will be the glory now and forevermore. We pray together and everybody said, Amen.